Hi, I'm Gina Messina, and welcome back to another episode of When Is It Time to Just Eat the Donut, a podcast that shares our stories and dares to ask the question, when is it okay for us to be bold, take risks, and break rules? Today, I'm talking with Professor Anne Murphy-Brown, attorney, author, and mother of three. She'll be sharing with us her research on working moms and the challenges they face, especially during COVID, and also her decision to write her book, Legally Mom, and her newest book, forthcoming hopefully sooner than later, Moms on the Job. And thank you again so much for being willing to meet with me today. I am just delighted to be talking with you. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for bringing me on the podcast. Absolutely. I am always so impressed with all of your research on working mothers and Your amazing TEDx talk on moms on the job um, has been something that has really impacted me. I constantly turn to you to be like, what, you know, what should I be doing as a working mother? Because you're just so knowledgeable in this area. And now with COVID here, it seems like all, you know, all of these challenges for us as working moms are exasperated. So Can you talk to us a little bit about what you see the major challenges being and how you think we should address them? Well, I mean, I think first of all, we have to look look at the numbers a little bit. In terms of COVID, you know, since the pandemic really hit us in March, 60% of the jobs that have been eliminated or that have been lost are those for women. Additionally, of those who are not working, so in the age group of say 25 to 44 who might have small children at home, there are almost three times as likely as men not to be working because of childcare demands. So about one in three of these women are not working because of childcare compared to only 11% of men in that same group. So what does this mean long-term? Women are losing their jobs because of the pandemic or being forced out of the workforce because of childcare issues. And this is going to make it difficult for them to catch up in their careers. When you have a gap in your career, it's harder to get back in. And long-term, they're going to show deficits in their retirement. Any sort of saving or any sort of long-term you know, contributions they would make are on hold now, and they may even be going into further debt. Um, and this is just, you know, kind of a global look. This doesn't take into consideration, you know, single moms, you know, who are the breadwinners for their whole family. It doesn't take into consideration the disparity of women of color. You know, black mothers are paid only 54 cents for every dollar paid to a white father. Latina mothers, it's 46 cents. And low-income women of color are among the most likely to have lost their jobs during this pandemic. And ironically, they're also disproportionately, oftentimes, the childcare workers who can't work or their childcare centers have closed, but yet America desperately so needs childcare. So we're in really kind of this bind situation for working moms. Those uh, those statistics are staggering. I was very aware of the pay statistic being different 
for women of color versus Caucasian women. But I didn't realize how drastically those numbers have been dropping, which Mm -hmm. is really telling with some of the social political situations that we're dealing with today. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked a lot about the fact that, you know, the United States is a leader among nations, and yet we're one of only four nations that do not mandate paid parental leave. There's no mandated paid parental leave. There is FMLA, and that's as far as we've gotten. You know, and that is, you know, decades old at this point. There's been really no, up, you know, uh, policy updates in terms of paid parental leave. I was reading a book recently about parenthood in the Netherlands, and not only do they have paid parental leave, But in addition, new mothers get a nurse that comes to their house every day in the weeks after they have a child. Imagine that kind of support in the United States, that a nurse comes to your home, helps you with the baby, helps you kind of manage those first sleep-deprived days when you're still healing and when, um, you know, the baby is new to you and you're still figuring everything out. I mean, you're given this baby with no owner's manual, right? This is the kind of support that generations ago you would have taken for granted, that you would have been surrounded by mothers and sisters and aunts who would come along and help you. And that type of family support is rare now. So not to go off topic, but just that, imagine in America where that kind of support was there. Well, and it's shocking to me to hear that this kind of support is available in other nations and that we don't have it here, Yeah, right? That we don't have it here. And just going back to the point about not having paid parental leave, yeah. the other three nations that do not mandate paid parental leave are Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. uh, Swaziland, Swaziland, yeah. Swaziland, and Lesotho, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. I'm always like thinking about the United States in context mm-hmm. of that that, you know, four nations that don't offer this, it, it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And I think it begs the question of where women and especially working mothers are valued within mm-hmm. this particular society. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It is something that very few policymakers, you know, have really taken on as an important issue in our society. You know, if you had really invested in mothers and children, what would be the um, long-term benefits of that? Like what kind of a train track would that be building for the rest of their lives? You know, would we be spending less on the prison pipeline? Would we be spending less, you know, in other areas that if you really invested in mothers and children, giving people a really good start in life, uh, what that could mean and keeping competent women in the workforce during a time that is, it can be difficult, leaving COVID aside, it can be really difficult to be a working mom. And it could be easier. Society could take on some of these issues, particularly because raising children is not just a personal goal. It actually is what kind of powers our society. It's a, it's a public good to have good people in the world that are going to support that next generation as they get into their elderly years. You know, one thing that I always think about is 
1971, Congress, both houses of Congress, passed a bipartisan comprehensive child development act. It was essentially a child care bill. Both houses of Congress passed it bipartisan. It was uh, proposed by Walter Mondale and John Brandemus from Indiana. And Nixon vetoed it. And his reason for vetoing it um, was essentially written by Pat Buchanan, who was a staffer at the time, who talked about it as it was a kind of a Sovietization of, you know, American children and that they children would be forced into these child care centers, when in reality it was meeting a need. Nearly half of mothers at the time were working outside the home and there was no structural support for this. So it made it through both houses of Congress and then he vetoed it and it just never got steam again. That's 50 years old. And if you think 50 years ago, if we had had some sort of comprehensive childcare package that women could look towards, what a different world working women might be in today. Right. And you're an attorney and I think your voice is so needed in government that we need to be talking about these issues and more than ever. And Mm -hmm. I wonder what your thoughts are on how do we move towards addressing policy and working towards change? Like I'm always talking to my students about, you know, the idea that they have a voice, that their voice is important, that they should be reaching out to their local officials and letting them know what their concerns are. Write letters, get engaged. And what can we do to look at addressing these things? Yes. What what can we do? Well, I mean, we have to continue to lobby our, our government officials. You know, one of the more powerful pieces of legislation that has not been passed is called the Family Act by um, Kristen Gillibrand out of New York. And um, looking to that and seeing where can we move the needle on that in terms of supporting families, because it's not just mothers with children. It's, you know, elderly parents. We're about to look at what they call the silver tsunami of baby boomers entering their years where they become frail and become, um, you know, not everyone, but people are going to have aging difficulties. And we're looking at a large population of people that may be encountering that. How are we as a society going to manage that when a ton of um, that kind of unpaid labor goes on daughters and women who are, you know, kind of the social plug to make sure things don't fall through the cracks. And I love what you just said, because I think that a lot of people feel like they're not impacted by some of these issues if they don't have children, um, if they're older adults. But in fact, this is a much larger issue that actually impacts all of us. And Mm -hmm. during COVID more than ever, it is something that we need to be giving attention to. Absolutely. And COVID actually, you know, could be, will this pandemic force some sort of a change? Because now there's this increased pressure on families. And it's not always just working moms. It's the dad, too, that, you know, in when it's a two-parent family, um, will this force any sort of structural and cultural changes that could eventually benefit women, even though in the long term, or I mean, sorry, in the short term, it's, it's not benefiting women. Will we get a better childcare system out of this or maybe more flexible work arrangements or even, I mean, at the very least, maybe a deeper appreciation of some of the challenges that are faced by working moms now that other people are impacted by it. You know, I said this before, but 
I, you know, I'd quote Joan Williams. She says, raising the next generation is a public good. It's not purely private good. You know, yes, we as mothers all want our kids to do well, but as a society, we do well when everyone does well, when all these kids do well. And, you know, the idea that the United States resists any sort of, you know, benefits like paid parental leave or public childcare if we can look at that as it's going to benefit all of us, it makes a big difference. It does. It really makes a huge difference. And I know that a lot of people would argue that, well, maybe mothers should be staying home, mm-hmm. but I think today that's just not even feasible. People depend on a two income household and single working moms, you know, have it pretty rough in trying to hold it all together on their own. I know that the statistics show that like in 1975, only 25% of mothers worked outside the home. And today it's around 75%. And, it well, has- and that statistic that you have there is for women that worked full time outside the home. Closer to 50% in the 70s were working outside the home in some capacity, you know, part time or, um, taking kids in, watching other people's kids, doing that kind of female work. I talked about that plugs kind of the social holes, but it wasn't full-time work. It's also the work that's generally not acknowledged by society. Not acknowledged, not paid. You know, what's really interesting is that the work that women do that's unpaid. So childcare, housework, you know, the kind of things that we do just as part of our, you know, responsibilities, the only time a value is put on that work is when a couple goes through a divorce. And then a court will look at that and say, okay, this is how much that is worth. But if you are in an intact marriage or you're a single working mom, none of that is ever quantified in any way. And, you know, they show that the, there was an American time use survey done by the Bureau of Labor Statistics that said women are do, moms are doing 56% more time doing childcare, housework um, than, than fathers. Fathers spend more time on work-related tasks, um, more time on travel. Well, not right now, probably, but and leisure activities. This is happening. This is real stuff. There are real statistics on this that show how much unpaid work women do. And you know, in some countries they have what they call motherhood stipend and it's paid to the mother of a child just simply because that money then is going to get to the kid in some way, you know, whether it's better housing, better food, clothing the child, etc. And it also values the work that that mother is doing. Yeah. acknowledges that. Okay, so Anne, you've done all of this research and you've committed so much time to this work. What led you to make the decision to get into this research, to into this field? And what led you to decide that you're going to write this book you're working on now, Moms on the Job? Once I became a mother, it became clearly evident to me that I had not been prepared for this challenge of balancing motherhood and work. And, you know, I'll go back and I'll say in high school, in college, in law school, all I was, everyone encouraged me to do this. And I even point back to, um, I talk about this in my TEDx talk, even the TV shows that we watched, you know, on primetime TV with um, Claire Huxtable as a lawyer and Elise Keaton as an architect on Family Ties, you know, all these working moms, um, the mom on Growing Pains, Joanna Seaver, she was a, um, a reporter, a news reporter. 
none of them had <laughs> any semblance that we saw of childcare. If they had a babysitter, it was really the kind of the love interest of the oldest son in some way. So we didn't see good, real examples of how to juggle motherhood and working. And once I was a lawyer and I was working and I moved into academics and decided to have children. It was almost like being hit by a truck because it was like, wait a second, how do I do this? Who's doing this? And these were all the conversations I had with my friends. How, you know, what are you doing for childcare? How are you making this work? Are you bringing somebody into your home? Are you doing a daycare? How are you doing this? And it became a huge part of my life is trying to make this work. And so the first research I started on this focused on lawyers. And I wrote a book that was published by the American Bar Association in 2012 called Legally Mom. And I interviewed women all across the country who were lawyers who were juggling motherhood and law practice. And just saying is essentially the same conversations I was having with my girlfriends how are you making this work? And what it came down to me, for me to understand was, it does. It should not be this difficult. This is really hard and it's really challenging, balancing being a mom and having a career, but it shouldn't be this difficult. Um, we just don't have a society that supports this. Um, you and I have talked in the past about Anne-Marie Slaughter's article, you know, why women can't have it all. And that's now eight years old. Can you believe that? I feel like yeah. we just, talking about it when it first came out. And she was in a very high profile government position with huge hours and you know huge commitment. And she found that she couldn't do it all in that time. And it was a really interesting article. But what I'd say is even not having that kind of overwhelming position where you're in charge of kind of the foreign policy of the United States, even having just a regular job, there's a lot of juggling. You know, women have a hard time making it all work. And it's not because they're not superhuman. We are asked to be superhuman on an everyday basis. It's because the societal structures that support other working moms in other countries just aren't here. We just don't have those in the United States. And that's where we're at. So, so that I, that's why I got into this. I, it was really more of a calling than, uh, you know, no one told me you have to go research this issue. It was, I was already researching it. Every article that came up, every little piece of information that I saw, I was filing somewhere and it just started to snowball into somebody needs to write about this in a cohesive way where it's kind of all together. First of all, your research is 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 outstanding. It's impeccable. And you're raising three children and working full time, running a household, you're married, you have all of these things going on and you've decided well, first to write Legally Mom, and now you're writing Moms on the Job, which is a huge undertaking. We all know this. To write a book is not something you just snap your fingers and do. So what made you decide, I'm going to write this book? I really love the writing process, number one. I like writing nonfiction. And also, I feel like after I wrote Legally Mom, which was, again, it was like a calling. Interviewing these women was a joy, you know, and transcribing their stories and finding out more about them. And just even pulling in the advice that they gave me, you know, I really took a lot of what they said and applied it to my own life of how they were making it work, how I could make it work. But also that this is a need that needs to be out there. People need to know that this isn't just you and your 
home, you know, where I got a, after I wrote Legally Mom, I got an email from a woman in Minnesota who was a mom in Minnesota. And she said, there are very few working mom attorneys where she lived. And the book just had such a huge impact on her, just knowing she wasn't alone in facing these issues. And I think that's kind of where we're at with some of this. We are so siloed in our own neighborhoods, in our own homes, trying to make everything work. And also when we see so much on social media where everyone else seems to be thriving and we are just trying to make, you know, juggle so much. And to see that this is, the deck is a little bit stacked against us in terms of trying to make this work. So writing this book, it's a joy. It's something that I I cannot wait to get out in the world. And at some point, I'm just going to have to hit the, the button and make it go. But in, I'm still researching. I'm still writing. I'm still learning about so much that um, has happened. Really, I'm going back to about the 1940s and seeing what kind of policies were put in place that you know maybe could have gone, could have made things different if we had gone a different route like some of the other countries have. Well, well I want to just acknowledge that learning from each other's experience is so important. And we often discount that, but I feel like a lot of times that is where we realize our own stories and where we get the most guidance. So I am super excited for your guidance and for the (laughs) guidance of all of these women whose stories you're bringing to life. So thank you for that. And I want you to know, I'm going to pre-order it when it comes out. I cannot wait for it. So thank you again so much. Thank you, Gina, for having me. To learn more about Anne Murphy Brown, for additional links and resources, including a link to her book, Legally Mom, visit my website at ginamessina.com. You can access more episodes of When Is It Time to Just Eat the Donut on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.